Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. We're really excited to give you guys this content this week. And um, thanks for taking time from your busy schedule. And I know that you're going to enjoy this. So last episode, we covered how to make faith work for you. So that was part one. And today we are going to do how to make faith work for you, but part two. So as you guys know, it's part of our God's Kingdom Purpose for Man series, which is a very, very important part, um, how faith works and how to make it work for you. And we just felt that there was so much good content that we really wanted to, to give it all in this one episode, this part, which was... Uh, what we were talking about last time, which was going to be the point number three. So last week, just a quick recap. In the last episode, we looked at how everyone was given a measure of faith, right? So popular belief is that some are given a larger measure than others. And we looked at how that just isn't the case. Okay, so that was last week. And you and I have the same measure of faith the Apostle Paul did. So the difference lies in how we train our faith and discipline ourselves in the study of scriptures. We also began teaching about the first two points about faith. So we covered what faith is and we covered how to get faith or be in faith. So today we'll be looking at the third and most important point concerning faith, which is number three, how to make your faith work for you. So Sebastian, let's dig in. Absolutely. Let's dig into, uh, let's dig deeper to climb higher. So how to make your faith work for you. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty, the practical aspect of how does one make their faith work for them? Because obviously uh, there are great benefits to having faith, right? So in teaching how to make faith work for you, we need to establish something very vital first. We know that God's kingdom operates by law. Right. There's so many laws that determine how God's kingdom operates. He has established his creation to operate through diverse laws. We have to interact with all kinds of laws in this life. Some call them laws of nature. Others call them laws of physics. Others call them just simply laws of life. So we have, for example, the law of gravity. We have the law of sowing and reaping. We have the law of reproduction, the law of cause and effect. Those are all laws that were set in motion, that were established by the Creator, by God. Well, maybe you didn't know this, but there is also a law that pertains to faith. Actually, faith in Scripture is referred to as a law. Okay, faith is a law. In Romans chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, we read this. Liz, would you read that for us? Yes. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. 
Very interesting. So aside from the obvious context here, where Paul reminds us that we are not saved by works, he tells us that the law of faith, which is man shall be justified by faith, supersedes all. The law of faith. Now, isn't that interesting? So God, in his word, has defined faith as a law. But now, to understand how faith is a law and what what that actually means, let's try to dig a little deeper and define what a law is, okay? So in the context of faith, it can be defined as follows. A statement of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular natural or scientific phenomenon always occurs if certain conditions are present. For example, the second law of thermodynamics, or the law of gravity. It is also a generalization based on a fact or event perceived to be recurrent. Now, this is very interesting, okay? So, I like where it says that, that it's deduced from observation, okay, that a phenomenon always occurs if the conditions are met always occurs. So that's what we're going to look at today. How does how does your faith work for you and what elements need to be there for the law of faith to always work in your life? So there are elements that we're going to look at the five stepping stones to a faith that works. So with this, notice the terminology of Romans chapter 3 verse 27. The law of faith. The superior law of faith overruled and superseded the law of sin and death. You know, the the law that says that the soul that sins will die, right? Well, the law of faith overrules and supersedes that. So, what can be observed about the law of faith? Here's a few things. Here's what we can observe about the law of faith. Faith works the same way every time, all the time, everywhere. So, in that sense, it's a law. Okay, so it works every time, all the time, everywhere. It's not a matter of just asking God and then if he wants to, he'll give you what he asks, uh, what you ask, I mean. Okay, so it's not a matter of that. God is consistent and his laws are consistent. Remember, for example, electricity, gravity, these laws are consistent. They're always the same if the conditions are met. Remember, we, we, we read that. It's a phenomenon that's observed if the conditions are met, right? So electricity, gravity, if the conditions are met, it's going to work every time. And so is the law of faith. Ignorance of how faith works will keep you from having what God has for you. So that's very important. You don't want to be ignorant of the law of faith or of how that law works. Because that's how you're going to have the, the blessings that come with it, okay? The main thing to remember about a law is its consistency. So, like I said before, this means that when properly applied and understood, your faith will work every time. This is why Jesus said, and we got some good passages for you. We're going to look at what Jesus said about faith and about prayer. Liz, if you'd read the passages. Yeah. So in John chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. In Mark chapter 11, 24, we read, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In Matthew 21, uh, sorry, chapter 21, verse 21 to 22, we read, So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. We also read in 1 John chapter 5, 14 and to 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Notice in the verse in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus begins by saying, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Yeah, so this means, just like we taught last episode, that we are to saturate ourselves with the words of God in order for this law of faith to be made manifest in our lives. The words of God must become one with our spirit. Okay. And yeah, we look for, so for those of you listening in, maybe for, you don't remember, we, we talked about reading scripture out loud, that it really does increase your faith. And it's really true. If you write down the God's promises on cue cards and you read them out loud, you'll notice how you believe even more and more. It, it transforms like, your faith. It really becomes an exercise in developing uh, a faith, uh, um, kind of like bodybuilding. It's like you're, it strengthens it's your like faith. It's like you know, it's almost like you know these passages because you've heard them in church, but then when you're reading them out loud, it's like they become alive in your soul. They it's kind very of echo, different. They echo with you. Yeah. It's, it's different than just reading them on a page. Exactly. So reading them on a page might build up your faith over time, but it's going to take longer than if you read them out loud. Okay, right. so that's that's something you need to, to keep in mind. So as I, as I mentioned before, today we're going to look at the five stepping stones to moving mountains. So let's look at five practical steps to make sure that this law of faith works in your life every single time. So the first stepping stone to move mountains is know your authority. I mean, we have repeated this over and over and over again in this God's Purpose for Man series, God's Kingdom Purpose for Man series. Knowing your authority is the basis upon which you will operate in the kingdom of God because your authority was given to you by God. It is immovable. It is done. It's yours. Now, if you use it or not, that depends on you. Not on God. He's given it to you. It's yours. But are you going to use it, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and if you're listening in right now, be sure that you go back to the first episode of the beginning of the uh, God's Kingdom Purpose for Man series, which is episode 31, because that's where we begin. And it's really, really important that you understand 
those first two episodes because there's a buildup and we're giving you, you know, portions that that you can understand and we're trying to do bite size. Yeah, but my it's not my easy. goal, <laughs> my goal in this series, and and uh, I was telling Liz this how important it was to me as I was building this series of God's Kingdom Purpose for Man was to build it in such a way that every teaching was a, f- a foundation, a, a cornerstone for the one that would follow. So it was like b- laying bricks when you lay the first one, the other one on top, yeah. the other one on top. I wanted to make sure that the first episode was crucial to understanding the second, and the second was crucial in understanding the third, and so on and so forth. And that's how I built the series, and I'm hoping that so far that's, w- that's what it, it did for you guys. And we're continuing. We're going to continue that way because I really think that in order for learning kingdom for most of us, it's by increment. It's such a huge U-turn in most believers' lives because we are not really taught kingdom in our churches today. Only a few among us have been lucky and privileged to uh, to hear this message and to understand, okay, that the kingdom of God is here on earth right now and it's been active and accessible since the coming of Jesus Christ in a powerful way so a lot of a lot of many among us have grown up with the idea that the kingdom of heaven is basically in heaven the kingdom of god is it's in heaven and if i lead a good life here uh, in this very like hellish place called earth uh, and i do my best to follow jesus then I'll, I'll be recompensed once I die. Uh, and yet, that, is, that couldn't be farther from the truth because when God put us on earth, he had a goal, he had a purpose, he wanted kingdom expansion. So basically, he created earth to be an expansion of the kingdom of heaven in the physical realm. So it was the greatest pleasure of God to expand his kingdom by creating a whole new realm that was physical in nature with physical beings, human beings, who were to be given dominion, who were made in his image, and who were to be given dominion to rule this new place. So that was the whole purpose of God. So when we have, when, when God has believers and Christians and children of God who, whose sole aim and, and, and hope and desire is to go to heaven someday, they're missing the mark. They're basically messing up God's plan because God God doesn't want you in heaven right now. You know, if if you're on earth, it's to fulfill a very specific assignment. And until you figure that out, until you pray to the Father to show you what your specific assignment is and you start implementing it by by understanding what his kingdom means and what you mean in his kingdom and then and what it means to be serving the king in the kingdom and all uh, this taking back territory for him, for his glory. Until you understand all that, it's an epic story, but until you understand your place in that epic story, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be fully happy as a Christian. And you're always going to be longing for something uh, that you will think in your mind, oh, that's only going to be happening when I die, when I get to heaven. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You can experience total fulfillment right here on earth, although we are living in an imperfect world, still, you know, unregenerate, un- unglorified yet, as of yet, because the full coming of Jesus Christ, the full restoration of this kingdom has not been uh, done yet. We're kind of halfway there. But 
still, I mean, if you fail to understand the kingdom, you're going to always be longing for something that basically will keep you. <laughs> it's sad to say, but when we long to go to heaven, when we long for heaven someday when we die, we're doing a service to Satan. Because a Christian who fully understands that he's to take back territory right here, right now on earth for the glory of the king, and who understands he's an ambassador for Christ, and who understands his place in the kingdom and how to do so, he's a real threat, a real threat to the kingdom of darkness. Remember what Jesus said, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. See, that, that passage oftentimes is misunderstood. When we think about the gates of hell, uh, I always, when I was a kid, I used to think there was hell coming against the church, that, that hell wouldn't prevail against the church. No. Imagine gates and imagine the church acting as a, uh, a battling ram. Remember back in the Middle Ages when they were going to war and they had this big log, this giant log that was carried by many men trying to smash right. in the gates of a, of a fort or a castle? Mm -hmm. That's the church. The church is a threat to hell, and it's not the other way around. And I, when I was younger, I thought it was the other way around. It's like, oh, hell's going to attack us, but we're going to stand firm for because Jesus promised we'd be okay. We wouldn't be, well, not too harmed, you know. And I had it, oh, I had it the other way around. We're, we're the battling ram. We're the ones ramming against the gates of hell and taking back territory. Anyway, I, I've gone on a tangent here. <laughs> I've gone on a tangent because I was talking about point number one, which is knowing your authority. And that's all good, right? I hope you guys can uh, can forgive me for that. I think I had some good points to make, but uh, let's get back to knowing your authority. So the believer's knowledge of the authority given to him by his king, who is God, is the first and most important stepping stone to efficient and strong faith. You can ha You cannot have kingdom faith if you don't know your authority and you don't know how to use it and you, you just don't use it, okay? It is impossible to have kingdom faith without the knowledge of your kingdom authority. The best account we have of kingdom faith in the Gospels, in the New Testament, comes not from an Israelite, but from a Roman centurion. And you guys are probably familiar with that story. It's found in two, two places. Uh, I'm going to take the account in Luke because I think the account in Luke bring, brings something up that is not found in that. I think it's in Matthew, the other, the other place where we find it. I, I like the account in Luke. Let's read it. It's in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Liz, would you read that for us? Absolutely. So when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent, sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. 
I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. I love this story. There's, I mean, there's so much meat in that passage. I could spend a whole podcast just going through that because there's so many lessons here to be learned. But I I specifically chose the passage in Luke chapter 7 over the one in Matthew. Because the one in Matthew gives you the impression, as you read it, that the centurion came himself to Jesus. Yeah, it's true. But I prefer the one in Luke because it is clear that the centurion never even saw Jesus. Okay? Or it seems that he just sent, he just sent delegations of people to Jesus to do the, 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 the asking. Right. And another thing that I love about this passage is how the whole passage doesn't mention faith except in the end when Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. It's interesting because the whole passage is about authority. Right. And yet in the end, Jesus says, he doesn't say I've not seen such great authority, but he equates the use of the centurion's authority with the best example of faith he has seen in all of Israel. Now, if you don't understand that, like I said, the authority part in the believer's life is so crucial. So Jesus is amazed and says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. The whole spiel from the centurion is about his authority and his understanding of how authority works. So he says, if I say to one, go, he goes. If I say to one, come, he comes. And it's interesting because there's a passage where he says, uh, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. In other words, he's saying, look, I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you, but I sent my servants to you knowing that they would accomplish what I sent them to do. And they did. They went to Jesus, boom, and it was done. And that hour, his his servant was found well. So it's all about authority. The centurion understood perfectly, having been in the military for some time, probably years and years, how authority works. And most of us, you know, uh, many of us are not part of the military. We, We don't have people under us in that same way, where, especially in the military, when you are in the military, the grades are very important. The person above you whether you like him, hate him, love him, doesn't matter. He says, drop and give me 20, you're going to give him 20. He says, go and get me that pitcher of water, whatever, you're going to go and get it. That's just the way it works. There's no ifs and buts about it. You're not going to argue with your superiors in the military. That's just the way it is. So he, the centurion was used to that, uh, the, that type of authority working very easily for him. His authority worked without any question. Anyone under his authority... They did what he he asked. And he knew of Jesus' authority. So he understood that if Jesus just said the word, that's interesting again, and we're going to talk about that later, 
if Jesus just said the word. This didn't say if Jesus prayed to the Father or asked for this or that. No, just say the word and it's going to be done. So again, we see a, a great understanding on the part of the centurion on how authority works. Okay, so this is all about authority. Look, I urge you guys to go read that passage in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. And compare it to the one in Matthew too. I forget, I didn't jot down where the one in Matthew is. But it's, it's still a good account because there's some glimpses of, of maybe some differences in there uh, that makes you see a, a bigger picture, the whole picture, if you will. It's always good to, when you have two stories that are similar in the Gospels to compare them and, and to, to read them to get the whole more meat around it. But this is all about authority. And Jesus equated authority with great faith. Uh, not authority, but the knowledge of how to use authority with great faith. Because that's exactly what the centurion showed. Now we're on to point number two. So number two is clear the air. Exactly. Clear the air. Before you exercise your faith through prayer, you must do so with a clear conscience. If there's any forgiveness issue in your life or root of bitterness in your heart, these will short-circuit the efficiency of your faith. And that, my friends, unfortunately, is a guarantee. Okay? It's guaranteed. So, um, I just want to add, you know, when there's unforgiveness in our lives, that can create like a wall between you and God, even if, you know, sometimes people hurt us and we know that the certain thing that whatever happened was the other person's fault or whatnot. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, people have a hard time forgiving, right? So it's very important that you're freed of that because that bitterness can, you know, convert into anger it can really you know be a like a bad root in your soul and it'll it will hinder your faith so it it will stop you from getting closer to god um you know we've all had issues i mean i've had stuff you know that um happened that wasn't really in my control but it was something that i just had to it was a person close to me my family that just you know really uh broke my heart and it was just one of those situations where I just had to let go and understand that you know that person has their own reasons for taking those decisions and I just had to let go and and respect that and uh, give that person space and time to to deal with her issues and whatnot and you know when we we started this journey in faith and stuff that was always something um, that kind of tugged in my heart because even if it wasn't something that I can do anything about, I couldn't control it. I couldn't, you know, call the person up. I didn't even have that person's phone number. And it was somebody very, very close to me in the family. And I just had to respect what was going on and pray for that person. And, you know, I, as I, I continued my walk with God and, and we've been doing the series and all that, a couple of months ago that person after six years of non-contact like no contact whatsoever came back into my life and um, I had to you know forgive that person for basically shutting me out for six years and not be bitter and just let it go and you know I realized that sometimes you know 
even if it's not in our control and even if it's something that the person does uh, that hurts us, if we hold on to that bitterness, it does a lot more harm in our lives, in our relationships and everything. Like we don't even realize sometimes how heavy that could be on your shoulders until you realize that you get to this place where you you are mature enough to say, look, you know, I respect that person's decision uh, for whatever reason. And I know I'm kind of talking vague here, but for a lot of you, there's there's at least one person that has hurt you in your life and that you can relate to. And maybe it's a relationship that you have that, you know, you haven't talked to somebody for years and it's somebody close in your family or whatnot, or maybe it's somebody, you know, maybe one of your children that grew up, ran off and doesn't talk to you anymore, whatever it may be. Um, I know it might be very difficult, but it's important to really not hold that bitterness, not just to let it go and just say, look, it's between them and God. I have nothing, you know, in my heart that's that's bitter or uh, unforgive, un- I, I don't hold unforgiveness and pray about it and, you know, ask God to forgive you if you have any part in this. And if you can, go talk to the person and ask for for forgiveness that's even better but you know we we've noticed that even in this journey the, the relationships that we couldn't even control that hurt us just kind of came back and popped up and um sebastian and i both lived stuff like that that we were amazed we we're like oh wow okay that person's asking me for forgiveness or we're making amends and things are, are getting back to the way they were even if we had let it go and we had you know we weren't bitter about it and we were just like going on with our lives god felt the need for that to come back so that we can deal with that so that those people would have closure as well and that you know between christians we're all un you know forgiving and close to god again and having that communion so that's so, really so that important. we could clear the air as well it's amazing because god is so gracious uh he gives us things sometimes that are wonderful without us even asking and as i've been building this series on faith and tackling right now uh point number two which which is clear the air so it's about unforgiveness not holding on to that uh god is so gracious he, he brought a person me too just like elizabeth in my life recently a uh, person I had spo- hadn't spoken to in 10 years. And uh, and I was not um, filled with anger or, or bitterness towards the person, but there was there was some needing to clear the air on both parts, um, on, my, on my end and on the, the other person's end. And uh, God brought the person in my life, knowing that, <laughs> like I said, God is gracious and we know that those who teach the scriptures will be judged more severely. And God in His grace and His love doesn't want me to go through a judgment that will be too severe. <laughs> I guess you could put it that way. In His grace. So He brought the person to me without me having to go find the person. Or, and it's not like I was bitter, but the person was also on their on their end uh, felt that they needed to ask for, for, for forgiveness so we forgave each other and that for me that cleared the air and i was just amazed because i was like wow as i'm teaching this i need to learn it first and foremost i'm the person who needs to learn it and apply it as the teacher of this because when you're teaching something 
if you're not doing it, you become twice more, like so much more accountable before the Lord. And the Lord in His grace, like I said, uh, wants me to have a clear conscience and just teach uh, teach you guys and be a blessing and not be, not, not be overly burdened as I teach, but to have a clear conscience and uh, experience this in a good way. Right. So that brings us to the what the Bible says about this, okay? So in Matthew's chapter 5, 23 to 24, we read, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of... Like, what you know, you can't just say, okay, God, use me. I want to do this for you. I want to do that for you. And, you know, have this grudge against somebody in the church that did something to you or whatnot. Like, it's really important to start from a clean slate and, and not have that bitterness, right? So in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus adds in Matthew chapter 6, 14 to 15, For if you forgive others... uh, Sorry, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's very important. And we we tend to mention that to our kids sometimes because they're like, no, like someone will ask for forgiveness and the other one will say, no, I don't forgive you. And anyway, so we, you know, we tend... Kids are so transparent. (laughs) Yeah, kids are kids, you know, but we kind of, some adults act like that too, right? So it's always the other person's fault and whatnot. So it's very important to, to, to make sure that you understand this and that it goes both ways. So if you hold on to unforgiveness, it causes bitter roots to extend deeper in your heart this will seriously damage your prayer life, faith results, and blessings. And that's what we're saying. Like sometimes we don't even realize like these relationships, these two relationships, we didn't, you know, we kind of forgot about it and just moved on and, and Well, you know, yeah, I, really I would bitter. I would think about the person once in a while and, and every time I would think about the person I was like, Well, I don't know if I should contact him or like I just didn't know and and uh God made the person contact me, and uh, that was beneficial. It cleared the air, it enabled me to move forward with uh, a clearer conscience. Exactly, and that that's a, a great thing to strengthen our faith when we're in that position where we don't hold anything and we're just, you know, clean and have a, a strong communion communion with God. Right. Exactly. The law of faith cannot operate with unforgiveness. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 and 15 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And for those of you who are married, let not the sun go down on your anger. It's very easy in a marriage to have unforgiveness because our spouse is the closest person to us. And oftentimes it's the person that offends us the most during the day. That's just the way it is. So always 
forgive, okay? A healthy marriage is the union of two forgivers. I think it was Ruth Bell Graham who said that. This is especially applicable to you husbands as the head of your household. The Apostle Peter reminds us, husbands, it says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And the part that's really important is this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So this is very, very important as husbands in your life of, as you apply faith, as you apply your, as you pray, your prayers will be hindered if you have unforgiveness, if you uh, do not show honor to your wife, and if you are not understanding in the way you live with them, your prayers will be hindered. So that's very, very important. Right, Lizzie? Right. <laughs> It, it is, and uh, it's very important, like they say, it's actually, you know, when they say, let not the sun go down on your anger. My grandmother um, was married for many, 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 many years, and um, she that's one of the biggest things that she taught us uh, when we first got married. She said, what she was a very simple lady, believed in God very much, and she always said, never say anything bad, and if you have anything that you said said a bad word to him or had an argument or whatever never never let uh, the sun go down on your anger and it's so true because when you don't clear the air when it first happens and say how you feel and just get it out there and you know at least both of you sometimes you know we we've had arguments that you say okay look you know i i heard your point of view and you both share your point of view, but you still may not agree, it's better still to talk about it and say, okay, look, I'm not there yet. I, I just don't understand your point or I'm not in agreement with that yet. Or, you know, just talk about it. And we've had times where we said, okay, we're just gonna, you know, pray about this yeah. because we just can't um, see eye to eye. But just the fact that we talked about it openly there wasn't that anger anymore and that bitterness wasn't gonna fester uh, you know day in day out because we both felt like we both understood each other and you know women as we know like communication is so important and you know women tend to get bitter when they don't have that communication with their husband because he will shun them out or not take it yeah you know seriously what they're saying so it's really important to at least clear the air and you know and when i'm saying clear the air i don't mean like shout it to each other how you feel i mean like discuss your each of your point of views it's said out in the open and then you decide okay so what do we do about this if it's not something that we could deal with right away then we'll pray about it and we'll talk about it some more tomorrow but don't go to bed angry. Yeah, and uh, you know the, the the passage is directed at at husbands, and there's a reason for that because Christ was the initiator in the forgiveness. Christ uh, washed the church by His blood. He's the one who sacrificed Himself. I think it's the same for husbands. We're to be the initiators in reconciliation. If there's any disagreement, if there's any uh, misunderstanding, or uh, anger or, or, or even a beginning of, of, of bitterness, we are the ones who should 
go to our wives and seek reconciliation, seek any way possible to fix the situation because we're called to do that. We're called to be initiators. Okay, we're the husbands, we're, we're the one to, to uh, call to make the first steps. It's not always easy. Uh, sometimes, you know, we might be in the wrong, but other times the wife might be in the wrong. And even then, we should seek to reconcile or seek to go talk it out or get some uh, something resolved, okay? And uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll once said something very funny. He said, if you apply this rule of not going to bed angry, and not, let, not letting the sun go down on your anger, you're going to see as time goes by and the night advances in your discussion, the more you advance in the night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, usually you're a lot more willing to, uh, <laughs> to concede some points to your spouse. <laughs> you won't hold on too much on your position and say, I'm not budging. Trust me, when you get tired, eventually you'll be like, you know what, it doesn't seem as important as it did at 8 o'clock. I'm willing to let that go. It's okay. <laughs> so anyway, I'm joking around. But uh, yeah, uh, the first and uh, first and most important person, if you're married, is going to be your spouse. And you need to clear the air with them first. That's the most important thing. Point number three, Liz. So show up filled up. That's very important. Very, very important. So the Bible gives us this interesting account about the Lord in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I love this little verse. It's a little jam. Uh, we don't see the full thing un until we actually think about it. It's interesting. So Jesus was praying as, his, as was his custom. He always went out in the morning and prayed for quite a, quite a while. Uh, he went very early in the morning, usually before the sun rose. And he prayed there. And, and it says, the passage says, When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So the disciples had been with Jesus for some time at that point. They observed his habits. So they saw how, like I said, he spent hours a day in solitude and prayer. There's some passages uh, uh, in the Gospels that mention he went off early in the morning and others in, in the evening he would, he would go off alone and, and pray to be alone in solitude in prayer. And they saw that these hours a day, they saw what these hours a day translated as, okay? So basically they saw the results of Jesus' prayer life. They witnessed how these hours of prayer equaled, for example, he commanded nature. So he commanded nature. For example, he commanded the storm to be still. He commanded the fig, th the fig tree to wither. That took one sentence. One sentence. He raised the dead. That took one sentence. He cast out demons. That also took one sentence. He healed the sick. In most cases, that also took one sentence out of his mouth. So the disciples were pretty observant. They were able to put two and two together. They knew exactly what to ask Jesus. They basically wanted to be like their master. They wanted what he had. So they, they saw the miraculous. They saw the power 
of their Lord, but they also saw the many hours spent in solitude and prayer. And they knew where the power came from. They knew it came from his time alone praying to the Father. So, being smart, they asked him to show them how to pray. So they basically asked him the secret on how to show up filled up. Because Jesus, wherever he went, he showed up filled up. He showed up filled up. And remember the account where the disciples tried to uh, cast out a, a demon and they weren't able to? And then Jesus cast out that demon right away. And then they asked him in private, Lord, why weren't we able to cast out that demon? And he said to them, and that's very interesting, he said that demon, that one, that particular type only comes out through prayer and fasting. So that means Jesus showed up, filled up. In other words, he habitually prayed and fasted. It was a habit of his. He was always filled up. So whatever he encountered during his ministry, he was ready for it. So the disciples weren't able to cast out the demon. They weren't ready. They probably had not fasted. But since he did, we can assume that he already had. He was ready for it. Boom. Came out. One sentence. Again. So it's no different with us. In order to maximize the power and efficiency of our measure of faith, we have to show up filled up as well. The power of our faith is proportionate to the quality of our devotional time. You can jot that down. The power of our faith is proportionate to the quality of our devotional time. Jesus, every day, spent most of his time alone. I think it was Miles Monroe who said this. It was very interesting. He said, the more time you spend alone with God, the less time you will spend with men. In other words, you will not expend too much energy with men because you will show up filled up. You will not, they will not suck out your energy. Right. So Jesus showed up filled up. Boom, one sentence, healed the blind. Boom, one sentence, stopped the storm. Boom, one sentence, uh, raised the dead, raised someone from the dead. See how it works. And that is very, very crucial to the life of the believer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the, word, the, the mouth of God. And those words coming out of the mouth of God, they will most likely come to you when you're reading, reciting out loud the scriptures, obviously. So that's you feeding yourself. But also in your quiet time, when you pray, and especially when you listen, when you take the time to quiet your soul and listen to God in the quiet, speaking to your spirit, that's when you will fill yourself up and you'll be ready. You'll be filled up and ready to go. And I just want to add something. You know, being a Christian entrepreneur, a kingdom entrepreneur, you know, you might have more spiritual warfare. You might have a lot more battles to go through because, you know, the devil, you know, he knows who, who's who and he knows that you're doing things for God and that you're a mover, a shaker 
um, you want to, to excel God's kingdom, you want to do stuff for Christ, you have the heart at the right place, you're dangerous, right? You're an active Christian. You're not those bench warmers. So because of that, you give more, you also need to receive more from God. Amen. Okay, so he's going to ask you to do things, but you're going to need to resource yourself. So all those things are really important, but it's also important to get some really good teachings. You know, just the Sunday morning teaching is not enough. You need to at least, you know, try to get another teaching in there during the week on a topic that you're, uh, you know, may increase your faith or you want to learn about a certain thing, you know, that that feeds your soul, you know, because it's really important because otherwise you're going to realize that near the end of the week, you're starting to run on empty that we use that. <laughs> We use that term, me and Sebastian, because we know how it gets busy. You have children, you know, you're running your business, you're doing this, you're doing that. And then sometimes, you know, oh, I skipped this or I didn't listen to this or whatnot. And then we realized how we had to change that in our life um, early on as Christian entrepreneurs, because we realized how sensitive we were to that and how it really is 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 that it demands more out of us we give more and we need to fill up more more often so mm-hmm. do that spend that time with with god and read those bible verses you know sometimes i i don't always have time to read them out loud like i wish i could in the morning um, because i have them on a cue card and i want to do that separate and so sometimes i'll do it with my son at night you know i'll, I'll take more time to do it because it's helping my faith as well, not just his. Yeah. So I find, you know, those different moments. Sometimes it's with, it's with my daughter. And, you know, you just, you know, add those those times that can help you. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, during your day, you just need that pick-me-up. You need to, I, I sometimes listen to sermons as I'm doing dishes, you know, while the kids are playing or doing whatever. Um, I get some, sometimes, you know, you have a, these, these downs at the end of the day, you're kind of exhausted. Sometimes it's good to listen to God's word in that way, wherever you can, you know, just find some inspiration to help you. So that brings us to number four, eliminate doubt. Bible teacher and man of faith, Charles Caps, put it like this. Faith is the ability to conceive God's word. That's a good quote. Love it. Faith is the ability to conceive God's word. I mentioned in the previous episode that hope is the embryo of faith. But many people suffer miscarriages while waiting for the baby to be born. In other words, many of us, between the amen of our prayer to God and the there it is when the thing manifests, between the amen and the there it is, many of us fall out of faith because Time passes, sometimes time elapses. It's not a, sometimes it's not a quick response. It's not immediate. And then we can start to doubt. <laughs> then the, the devil can s- start planting seeds of doubt and say, you know, putting like, oh, see, it's not happening. See what you prayed for? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a, you're not getting the answer. You're not get- so then you start doubting. So, be honest, how many times have you prayed and believed for a thing at the moment you prayed and then began doubting when it had been a little too long for the thing to manifest. I know I've been there. In fact, I've been there too many times to remember. Okay? So, you're not alone. Too often, we're like uh, Peter. 
We walk on water to go to Jesus, but when things get a bit hard or too long, or the waves start showing up, then we lose faith and we start sinking. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James tells us that the one who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I'm just going to put a little my little take on this. I think it's interesting. James says we should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It has happened in my life that I had doubted and that God, in spite of my doubt, still answered my prayer. It has happened and I'm sure it has for you as well. But I like the word that James uses here, should not expect. So basically, when you doubt, you should see yourself as disqualified, okay? Now, we need to to understand what doubt is. Does doubt completely short-circuit faith? In other words, is doubt the opposite of faith? I'll tell you what, I used to think so, but I don't believe this anymore. You see, we think that having faith means complete absence of doubt. We believe that either we have faith or we have doubt. We believe, we, we believe that we, also, we always see faith as the absence of doubt and doubt as the absence of faith. But that is just not the way it is. It is possible, and I'm going to say something here that might shock you, it is possible to have both faith and doubt. Many of us have faith mixed with doubt. In fact, most of us do. And that is why we seldom see miraculous results in our lives. Okay, It's because we have faith mixed with doubt. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. It's very important. Listen to this. He said, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. I like the way this is phrased. I find it very interesting. The and in the phrase where Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt. The and changes much of the meaning. Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, meaning that both conditions must be met for that mountain to move. First condition have faith. Second condition, do not doubt. So if you have faith and do not doubt, that's fascinating. So in the passage, Jesus explains that if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll say to this mountain, move out of the way, throw yourself in the sea, and it will obey you. Okay? Now, how many of you have done that? 
That is not a common occurrence in most believers' lives, except those who have learned how to use their faith properly. Okay? In other words, in order for us to develop that kind of faith, it takes a lot of faith, working out of your faith, like we explained in the last episode, right? Working out that faith. So, faith without doubt moves mountains. Faith with doubt might move anthills, maybe even molehills, but forget the mountains. You know where I'm going with this? So this is why you got prayers answered sometimes. This is why I got my prayers answered sometimes, because I had faith with doubt. Okay? But if you want your prayers answered every time, you must have faith without doubt. Okay? This is why we see miracles sometimes. Because of faith mixed with doubt. You understand? Do you remember in Star Wars, and I think it was um, The Empire Strikes Back, when Yoda gets Luke's ship, the ship had sunk, it was in a swamp, it was like underneath the swamp in the water. Yoda gets the ship out of the, the swamp, out of the swampy water. And when he actually gets the ship to come out of the water and float and go and land on the ground, Luke, looks, he turns to Yoda and he's in shock and he says, I don't believe it. And Yoda answered simply, that is why you fail. It's a very interesting uh, little story within the, the Star Wars saga because in the beginning when Luke was trying to get that ship out, you could see it was a huge ship. And you could see the ship was coming out of the water a little bit. So that was the molehill. That was the anthill. But he wasn't able to get the ship. He didn't, in other words, he wasn't able to move that mountain. And Yoda simply answered, that is why you fail, because you don't believe it. Okay, so that's faith mixed with doubt. Interesting, you added Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought, because when I was doing the study, I was reminded of that little uh, uh, snippet in Star Wars. I was like, oh, it reminds me of that, yeah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, why not? Why not give that as an example? So A modern example. <laughs> it's a modern example, and, and, and but it's happened to many of us. I mean, I know I've had prayers answered in spite of my doubt. I had faith. But I was not in faith. I didn't have the faith so to move the, the mountain. So basically, I believed that God could. I wasn't quite sure he would. So this is kind of what it looks like. You know, when you pray for something and then you are like hoping what we talked you're, about. You're, yeah, you're more like in hope. And so when he does answer, you're kind of surprised. You're like in shock. And, you, and then you <gasps> he cry. Did answer. Like, he answered. <laughs> he answered my prayer. <laughs> As if he was not going to answer, right? So that's how you kind of know that you, <laughs> there was a lot of doubt in your faith. Well, exactly. And you know what? Until I, I learned about kingdom and until I learned about kingdom faith, most of my prayers were like that. They were faith mixed with doubt. And when God would answer, I would, I would like jump with joy and cry and be like, oh, my goodness, oh, God, you're so good. But you see, when you really believe you're not surprised when God answers. And I know that like, you're thankful, but you're not surprised. 
So it's a very com- faith is a very complex thing. And as I was writing it this is. study, even Elizabeth, as the I was, more I study it, the more I realize I know nothing. About as I faith. was writing this study, and I, I thought that was the most difficult point uh, to to ex- explain in this podcast was the faith with the doubt thing. That you know, because we we think either you're in faith or you're in doubt. No, it's not that simple. <laughs> Sometimes you're in hope. Sometimes you're in faith mixed with doubt. And the results may may not come, and uh, it's 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 iffy. When you're in full faith without doubt, it's not iffy. They will come. The results come every single time. <laughs> Which brings us to point number five. So number five is speak up. So in Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse eighteen to twenty-two, we read. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Amen. So the passage says Jesus said to the fig tree, And again, in the same passage, Jesus says, you will say to this mountain. Isn't that interesting? Also elsewhere in scriptures, Jesus shouted to Lazarus to come out. That was verbal. Jesus ordered demons out. Again, that was verbal. Faith in action is always spoken with authority. The confessions of your mouth are the measure of your faith. Write that down. The confessions of your mouth are the measure of your faith. When Peter and John healed a lame man in Acts chapter 3, they said to him, they said to him, rise up and walk. In Proverbs chapter 18 verses 20-21, It says this about your speaking out, your verbal confessions. This is what it says. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm going to go on in more detail about the power of your tongue in a future episode. This will be a very, very important episode. Uh, I already have taken notes for it. But faith speaks up. So you call out the thing that you need. Faith talks. It speaks Jesus said, you will say to this mountain. So when we pray, we ask the Father. So that's in your private time. Okay? So there's like a dual uh, process in prayer. There's the asking for the Father 
for revelation, for um, consolation, faith, healing, whatever. But there's the confession part of your mouth that is an active part of your faith. So whatever you believe, you must speak out. Faith cannot be hindered. Faith, true faith, that is strengthened uh, through confession of the Word of God will eventually speak out. It cannot be contained. So that's the fifth element. Do not hesitate to speak out with authority for the things that you want. Call them forth. In Jesus' name, always. So, we will now revise the five stepping stones to a faith which, which shows results. Number one, know your authority. Number two, clear the air. So, in other words, if there's unconfessed sin, if there's a grudge you're holding against someone, unforgiveness, bitterness, clear the air, ask God to help you with that. Number three, show up filled up. Your personal devotional time with the Lord. Reciting scripture, reading scripture, praying to God, filling yourself up. Number four, do not doubt. Yes, there's faith mixed with doubt. But that's not the kind of faith you want. You want the faith that does not doubt. The faith without doubt. That's the powerful faith. That's the faith that moves mountains. And the, the, by reading over and over the verses, it really helps with the doubt part. Because refreshing our minds with the promises, I, I, I found that that really, really helped me when I pray now with more authority and I don't doubt as much because like it's not perfect. You know, I have a lot of work to do in that area. We all do. But what I mean is I've seen a real huge improvement because I'm immersing myself in those promises con constantly. Yeah. And it's like a good brainwash, right? It's, it's, you <laughs> a know, heart wash, you know, a brainwash. The, the, inter the entrepreneurs in this world like to brainwash themselves with mindset and with, you know, all kinds of stuff that's very ungodly and mantras and convincing themselves they are all powerful well, we do the opposite. We do the brainwash, the mindset, but with God's promises. And God's power. And God with God's power, exactly. In, in Jesus' name. So when you see it that way and you keep on, you know, repeating these promises, you believe them, you live them, you memorize them. I've even seen an improvement like fast, you know, with my son that's actually finishing uh, the you know, the verses that I start reading because even after a short period of time, he's memorized them and he knows it's them. It's amazing how a it, child learns yeah, quickly. Um, it, it reminds us of basically how I used to be. I'm, 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 I remember when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I would just like I had a photographic memory and, and, and the passages of scripture that I memorized back then as opposed to the ones I'm able to memorize today at 44 years old, there's a big difference. And I, you know, looking back, I'm like, you know, I still have fairly good memory, but man, back then it was amazing, like photographing. And if I had known, if I had known, I would, 
I've gone out of my way to memorize so much more than what I did. But I, I did I did fairly good, but I wish I could have memorized so many more back then. Exactly. So And number five, number five is speak up, like we just saw. A, a true, genuine faith cannot be restrained. It speaks up what it wants. Yes. It calls out what it desires and knows that God has heard and God will answer. Yes. So speak up with authority and say what it is that you want and we'll do a um we'll do another uh, podcast on that because just the calling out and speaking with authority to making things it'll be about the tongue it'll probably be confession yeah. and the tongue i don't know the title yet but we'll we'll tackle that for exactly. sure exactly that's another important episode to to do so and liz uh, you, you wanted to talk to our listeners about how our podcast is going to change somewhat in the coming up ep- uh, future episodes yeah so we we realized um you know even for us we're uh, we listen to podcasts as well we listen to teachings and we know how it is you know we want as christian entrepreneurs kingdom entrepreneurs we want to uh, be knowledgeable so we love to study and and learn and uh, you know that helps our mindset that helps us spiritually and all that and i know that i've listened to a lot of long teachings and i'm kind of good at remembering okay i was at a certain minute and then i go back because i can't always listen to a really long teaching that's an hour and a half or two hours straight i don't always have that time so i'll kind of divide it in half or sometimes even in three parts and to finally get to the end but at the same time when we do that we kind of forget where we left off and we lose some information so We decided that we would adjust ourselves a little more for you Christian entrepreneurs. We know that your lives are busy. You want to learn, but you also have a lot to do. And you don't always have time to remember where you left off and whatnot. So we're going to give you really good content, but we're going to try to, um, you know, do smaller pieces. So instead of giving you guys a really, really big meaty podcast of an hour and something, we'll try to get it down to 25 to 30 minutes so that it's impactful it's to the point and you get you know that food that you need that knowledge that you need and then um you know we'll just continue from where we left off the next week so we're just going to try to adjust that way to see if if you guys like it better and if you're able to get through all the content from beginning to finish fit that in your your schedule and you know, yeah, and and that way we think it's going to be more user friendly. Yeah, uh, especially considering, uh, like Elizabeth said, uh, the audience we serve are your entrepreneurs, your busy people. You have families. You 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 have lots of things to do and appointments. Like you're busy people, very busy, and so are we. And uh, you know what? I think it's going to be good for everybody. Uh, shorter podcasts are appreciated. We see it's a trend now, and. Um, I remember when I used to listen to podcasts, uh, maybe 10 years ago, that's when I started uh, listening to podcasts and uh, they were two hours long and I, I didn't really mind it because that was the norm. But now the norm has, uh, has changed. Things evolve, things change. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the most popular podca- podcasts, the most appreciated ones are usually between 20 and 40 minutes max on this yeah about and it, it all always depends on the kind of content that you serve right so 
we're more of a teaching kind of podcast. So our content usually is a bit longer because there's more points and stuff. But we uh, discuss how we're going to give you that meat, that great content so that you still have the food that you need, but in a, a format that's just a little more compact, a little uh, easier to get through. That way you get, you're able to follow us, you know, and not kind of, you know, oh, where was I? And oh, okay, now I'm going to listen to the new podcast, but I didn't really finish the last podcast. And then you, you can't follow, you know, all the content. And we really like the whole point of this podcast is for you guys to learn. Yeah. We're here to equip you and we really want you guys to learn and get the maximum and to thrive as Christian entrepreneurs. So Amen. we're going to do that for you guys next week. So share this podcast with other kingdom entrepreneurs that you know will enjoy this and uh you can always go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com you can sign up there to get our podcast straight to your inbox every week so that you don't miss an episode so thank you for listening be blessed and thrive on thanks for listening to the thriving on purpose podcast Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.